0: Welcome, class, to our study in the book of Acts. I'm Pastor Trudy, and I'm going to be sharing with you some truths and some nuggets out of the book of Acts in the next few weeks. So if you will, open your Bibles with me today to Acts chapter 28, the last chapter of the book, and we're going to begin reading in verse 30 and read verse 30 and 31. That's Acts 28, verse 30 and 31. It says, then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house, And received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. This is an interesting passage of scripture at the book of Acts ending because it's after Paul has been arrested and he has been uh, transported to Rome. And here it tells us he's in his own rented house. So it causes us to understand he has some freedoms and liberties, But it says that he's preaching the kingdom of God during this time. Now, preaching the kingdom of God is, if we look back into Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, the very first book, the first verse of the book of Acts. It says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now, we understand that Jesus began to do something And what he began to do was he began to teach and exhort concerning the kingdom of God. And then we see in the last verse of the book of Acts, that's exactly what Paul is doing. So we can see that what Jesus commanded them to do, what he began to do, then Paul is continuing to do. It says Jesus began to do this and to teach this. And Paul continues to do and teach this, but it makes us understand that this is also what we are supposed to continue to do. If Jesus started it and said, this is the beginning and Paul is continuing it, we know that the ending is also going to be the body of Christ preaching the kingdom of God. So let's turn back now on Acts 28 and let's look at another verse concerning this kingdom of God says in verse 23 of Acts 28, So when they had appointed him a day, many came to, came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. Again, this is speaking of Paul and his house. And it says that he was explaining and solemnly testifying of the kingdom of God. So the word explain here means that he was teaching it or giving them understanding of what the kingdom of God is like. It's a combination word that means from and to set forth or to place. So he's got some information that he's setting before the people to cause them to understand. This is what explaining or expounding, exposing to declare. He's giving understanding. But then it also says he's testifying also of this kingdom of God. And that word testify means to witness or to attest to it. So we understand that through the book of Acts, we have to understand that Paul not only developed an understanding of the kingdom of God and shared that understanding of the kingdom of God, but also that he had experiences in the kingdom of God and he's testifying or sharing those experiences. And this is all reflective of what Jesus began to do, what he exhorted them to continue to do. Let's look back at a few things here. Let's go back into the book of Luke and let's just look at a couple of verses here to understand the importance of the preaching of the kingdom. So let's go to Luke chapter one. No, Luke chapter nine, excuse me. Verse number one, Luke chapter nine, verse one. It says he called his 12 disciples together. So we know this is the twelve and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So if you're ever struggling about a preaching topic, understand that Jesus commissions people to preach the kingdom, to preach the kingdom. If we turn over and look at Luke chapter 16, just a few pages ahead, Luke chapter 16, verse 16. It says the law and the prophets were until John. But since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. So we see that up until the time of John, we have a preaching concerning the law and concerning the prophets. This is what the teaching and the preaching were about, the law and the prophets. If you remember correctly, John the Baptist came with a message of repentance. And what that message was, was you have not kept the law and followed the prophets. So he called them to a life of repentance, meaning a life to change the way you're doing life, to alter the way you're living life, because it's not conforming to the law and the prophets. But Jesus comes on the scene and there's a new preaching that has begun. And this preaching is concerning the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. Now, what is a kingdom? A kingdom is a place where, first of all, there is a king. A kingdom always has a king or it's not a kingdom. And then a kingdom has rules. It has behaviors it has conduct, it has benefits, it has privileges. Some kingdoms even have luxuries. So Jesus began to preach when he started in the earth. He started preaching the benefits, the requirements, the structure, if you would, of what the kingdom of God is like. In fact, if we look over in Luke chapter 4, Luke chapter four, and we look at verse 43. Luke chapter four, verse 43. Jesus is talking and he says to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, because for this purpose I have been sent. For this purpose I have been sent. So the purpose of Jesus being sent was to preach the kingdom of God. Now we know first John three, eight tells us for this purpose was the son of God manifest or revealed was to destroy the works of the enemy or the devil. So Jesus was sent to preach and Jesus was revealed by destroying the works of darkness. Okay. Now, if Jesus was sent to preach, we can be certain of this. If you can't preach the kingdom of God, you probably aren't being sent by God because it's what Jesus began to do. It was his purpose in coming. So there is no other way to be connected to the body but to follow in line with the same purpose that the head had. The head isn't got one purpose and the rest of the body have a different purpose. If we're going to cling to the purpose of the head, we're gonna preach the kingdom of God as well. We're gonna continue working in what he started. Now, it's interesting because in the book of Acts, we think of the book of Acts as the Acts of the Apostles or the Acts of the Holy Spirit, and all of these things are very true. But if you go through the entire book of Acts, in nearly every chapter, of the book of Acts, we see someone preaching, exhorting, teaching, saying, delivery of a sermon. We, we have Philip in Acts 8 preaching the kingdom. We have Paul multiple times preaching the kingdom. We have Peter giving a sermon. We have Philip preaching. We have record of Barnabas and Silas in the synagogues teaching. It is filled with preaching. So I want to remind you that even though the book of Acts is a book where miraculous things are recorded, it is a book of preaching. It is a book of teaching. It is a book of giving understanding and insight as to what the kingdom of God is. Now, if we look in Mark chapter 16, Mark chapter 16, will develop some understanding of why this is. And Mark chapter 16, let's just begin reading it at verse 15 to remind us what our purposes are on the earth. And it says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. Okay, so he asked first, preach the gospel, preach the gospel. And this is what will follow the preaching of the gospel. Those who believe in my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. If they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, He was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God, and they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. So he starts out telling them, you're going to preach, and the ones that believe will be baptized and be saved. And he says, these signs are going to follow those that believe. And it says in verse 20, they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. So obviously they did what he said to do. But I want to take note of the fact in verse 20 that the word them is in italics, meaning it's not in the original context of the scriptures written. So the verse would read, and they went out and preached everywhere. The Lord working with and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. So the importance of preaching the word is this. The Lord is going to confirm the word that is preached with accompanying signs. If the word of the kingdom of God is not shared, then there is nothing for him to confirm and to have signs accompany. If you're going to preach something else, then the confirming signs of that word will not represent the kingdom of God because he needs the preaching of the kingdom first before he can confirm that preaching with accompanying signs. No preaching of the kingdom, no signs of the kingdom, no declaration of the kingdom, no proof of that kingdom. Because God always starts with giving people something to hear before he gives them something to see. He always begins with something to hear so that he can accompany that or combine that with giving them something to see. We know that in the word this is true because um, he even makes the comment to his Uh, to his disciples when they're gathered, he said, blessed are you who haven't seen, but yet believe. So he's saying it's a blessing if you can hear something without seeing something. And why is that? Because the hearing will initiate what you're going to see. The conception of what you are going to see is in what you're going to hear. That is the reason it becomes so valuable and important. what we are going to listen to and hear. What we're going to give heed to is going to prove out what we're going to see in our life. So in the book of Acts, repeatedly, we have sermons and messages of preaching the kingdom, preaching the the kingdom, sharing the kingdom, sharing the kingdom, sharing the kingdom, so that there can be confirming and accompanying signs to prove what that kingdom looks like. So maybe we should think about, well, if we're supposed to preach it, what is that kingdom? Let's go back into the book of John, where Jesus is, begins to talk a little bit about this kingdom so we get some understanding of it. In John chapter three, we have the account of Nicodemus coming to Jesus at night and asking him some questions. And Jesus answers in verse three of John chapter three, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So if we're going to see the kingdom of God, the first requirement is we've got to be born again. We have to be born again. And then Jesus answers in verse five of John chapter three and says, most assuredly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So we have two criteria here about the kingdom of God. We're supposed to be born again or born of the water and spirit before we can see it or before we can enter it. So that tells me this kingdom is not anything that a natural man can see or enter because it's of the kingdom of God is the reason we need to be born again. You can't see or enter that kingdom unless you're born of the spirit. So that gives us a clue that this kingdom is a spiritual kingdom, okay? It's an unseen kingdom where Jesus is king. Now, they kept pressing about when the kingdom of God was going to come. They would press Jesus and press Jesus and press Jesus. Is that when your kingdom's going to come? Is that when your kingdom's going to come? And he said, my kingdom is not of this world. Meaning my kingdom is not like the systems that the world has. That's not my kingdom. My kingdom, meaning where I am king, is a kingdom of the spirit, but you can't see it or enter it Unless you are born again. Now let's go over to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And in verse 13, talking about the redemptive work of Jesus, it says, He delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed, or translated is another way to say that, translated us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. So we see here that the power of darkness and the kingdom of the Son of His love, or the kingdom of God, are two opposite forces, that we've been taken out of one and placed in another. So in the kingdom of God, It's a kingdom where the power of darkness does not have right or rulership. So when you think about this in the book of Acts, they were preaching a place and a life that the power of darkness does not have authority. And we know in the book of Acts, there is constant confirmation of that by the by them casting out devils and stopping demonic forces and raising the dead to life and healing the paralytic. Um, We have all kinds of testimonies of that. And what we are having testimonies of is we're preaching the kingdom where darkness has no right in rulership. And now we're getting signs, wonders, and miracles where the demonic forces have no right or rulership. It's exactly what was happening in the book of Acts. Now, I want you to understand this. As a child of God, you can see the kingdom of God. You can uh, enter into the kingdom of God. You can be translated to the kingdom of God and still not have a life reflective of the kingdom of God. Because seeing it, entering it, and moving into it does not mean you're living it. And what what has to happen is we have to get a lifestyle of the kingdom of God. It's no different than this. You know, I could have a home for you and you could see that home. You could walk into that home. I could move all your belongings and possessions into that home. But you still have the option not to live in that home. Because living in that home is an act of choice and development. So if we are going to live in the kingdom of God, it's going to be an act of our choosing to be so, to do so, and the development of how to do it. Let's look at Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter six, which is probably one of the most common passages of scripture concerning the kingdom of God. In Matthew chapter six, verse 33, he just gets done talking about all the things that the people of the world will ever want. And he's talking about clothes and he's talking about, you know, food. He's talking about all kinds of things. And he says to them in verse 33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all this will be added to you. So that gives me an understanding that the pursuit of all natural things can be handled if I'm seeking first the kingdom of God. So it's as if this unseen kingdom and this natural kingdom that we see, the things of the natural realm, if we will seek this upper kingdom, the spirit kingdom, the kingdom we don't see, that kingdom has the right to bring to me all the things of this natural kingdom that I would want. So he's saying, don't look for all these things down here that everybody else is in looking for. Don't be in pursuit of the things that everyone else is pursuing. Instead, turn your eyes upward to the kingdom of God, the place where darkness has no right and authority, and that kingdom will usher to you all those things that the people under the dominance of this kingdom of darkness are looking for. So it tells me that this is a higher kingdom. This kingdom of God is a higher kingdom than what people walking on the earth are experiencing. Remember, you have to be born again to see it. You have to be born of the water and the spirit to enter it. And yet God in his goodness and mercy has taken us out of this lower kingdom and translated us into this higher kingdom. So now what we have to do is we have to seek and look for that kingdom We have to pursue that kingdom as the highest and the greatest priority of our life. And as we pursue that kingdom, that kingdom will make everything work in this kingdom. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 10, Jesus is commissioning the 70. And he says in verse 8, Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you. Heal the sick there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into its streets and say, the very dust of your city, which clings to us, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. But I say to you that it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Well, what's the difference between those that the kingdom of God has come near and you heal the sick there and the ones that say you're more going to be more like Sodom and Gomorrah. The difference between these two situations, the kingdom is in both of them. The kingdom of God has come near to both of them. But one is willing for the kingdom and one is unwilling for the kingdom. So it's a matter of choosing. If you are willing to choose the kingdom of God, you're going to see the results of the kingdom of God. If you are accepting of the things of the kingdom of God, then the kingdom of God will be demonstrated. Hallelujah. It sounds like in this passage of scripture that it's a dangerous thing to have the kingdom of God near you and to refuse it. It's being shut down, I guess, is what we could say. All right. Um, Let's see here. Let's go over to Luke chapter 17. Hallelujah. And this gives us a greater explanation of the kingdom of God. In verse 20 of Luke chapter 17, verse 20. And he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. He answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. Meaning you can't watch and look for the kingdom of God in just causing it to come. Nor will they say, see here or see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. So even though we may see demonstrations or manifestations of the kingdom of God, we can't look at something and say, here, let's do this and that will prove it's the kingdom. No, because the kingdom of God comes from within us out, not from the outside in. The kingdom of God, Jesus says, is within you. The kingdom of God is inside of us. And there will be some looking for a kingdom externally. They were looking at when they could make Jesus their king and overthrow the Roman rule. And he said, that's not how it's going to happen. The kingdom of God is within you because the kingdom of God is a matter of rulership and authority. So that gives me a clue about what the kingdom of God looks like. The kingdom of God is a kingdom in which Jesus is king. And if it's within me, there has to be this inner witness, this inner man that subjects itself to a king. So that means the matter of leading my life of walking out my life, if it's going to be the kingdom of God, that means I have to submit my will. I have to subject myself. I have to become, for lack of a better word, a bond slave to Jesus as the king. I have to allow him to be boss. And this is why you can be born again and see the kingdom. You can be born of the water and the spirit and enter the kingdom and why you can be translated out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom, but still never live in the kingdom because in kingdom living, it's a requirement that Jesus is the king. If Jesus isn't the king, then you're not in the kingdom of God living. Jesus has to become the king. Jesus has to become Lord. He has to be your guidance system. He has to be able to lead you. He has to be able to um, speak to you about conduct. He has to be able to speak to you about behavior. Now, at any time he speaks, there can be resistance. There can be repelling there can be refusing, there can be rebelling, lots of re-re-re-words. But all of those, what those things do is keeps us out of living in the kingdom. And then what we have is momentary experiences in the kingdom, but not a life in the kingdom. And Jesus began to preach the kingdom of God exhorted others, continue preaching the kingdom of God because he is hungry to confirm the kingdom of God with signs and wonders following, not only corporately, not only on a um, international scale, but on a personal level too. He's saying, keep, keep focusing on the kingdom of God. Keep focusing on the fact the enemy has no power and authority. Keep focusing Keep meditating on the fact that darkness is not king anymore. Keep, keep meditating on the fact that darkness has no rulership any longer. Keep thinking on this because it will build in you a confidence that greater is he that's in you, which is a benefit of the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. And he said, you have to keep after this. Keep after this. Keep. Keep looking in your life. Keep seeking the kingdom of God. So if you're going to continue seeking the kingdom of God, what you're going to do is keep looking for ways that Jesus can be in charge. You're going to continue to look for ways that he can have more of your heart. You're going to continue looking for ways that he can be exalted and high and lifted up. And as you do that, the things of this earth, begin to pale concerning, compared to the enthusiasm you have for the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God, you know, it even tells us in, uh, I believe it's in Luke, he tells us a couple stories about what the kingdom of God is like. He tells us one, it's like a little mustard seed. And with that little mustard seed, you plant it and it begins to grow and develop and become bigger and bigger until birds of the air make their nests in that. But that kingdom just started as a small thing, but yet with consistent nurturing of it, consistent uh, tending to it, it begins to grow and grow and grow and grow. That's the way the kingdom of God works in our life. That if we, Plant the kingdom of God within us. If we plant the word of the kingdom within us, then what happens is that kingdom begins to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow grow within us. And it says this, it grew up to this stature and the person that planted it didn't even know how it happened. That is the way the kingdom of God works. When you continually put things about the kingdom of God within you, it will continue to grow and expand and enlarge and grow and expand and enlarge. And you don't even know how it's happening, but you can look at your life and decide, I'm not the same that I was five years ago. I'm not the same that I was two months ago. I'm not even the same as I was yesterday. Why? Because that kingdom of God in you, when you continue to seek that kingdom, when you continue to tend to that kingdom, continues to grow and expand and enlarge and get larger. Another, another uh, example, the kingdom of God, it says it's like a woman that went and hid leaven in three measures a meal. And that leaven begins to enlarge every part and begin to affect everything else. And so it is with the understanding of the kingdom. When you tend to the kingdom of God in your life, it begins to affect every area of your life. It affects your body. It affects you, your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions. It even affects you spiritually. Okay. So if we continue to put things about the kingdom of God within us, then it's going to continually affect us until everything in our life is affected. And this is what they were preaching about in the book of Acts. This is why it was changing people and 3,000 a day are getting saved. It's why 5,000 men are coming to the kingdom. It's why signs and wonders are happening. It's why people are being raised from the dead. It's why devils are being cast out because Jesus is the king of their life. And they're walking. Seeking more of that kingdom, that that kingdom be expanded, and it just continues to increase and, increase and increase and increase and increase more and more. That's the rules of the kingdom. Now, I want to look at a couple things here um, before we get back to the book of Acts. Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. And uh, this story. No, I'm sorry. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. I knew that didn't look right. Mark chapter 10. And this is the story of the rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus and this rich young ruler comes and asks Jesus, there's something missing yet in my life, even though I've got all these things. And Jesus tells him to go sell whatever he has and give it to the poor. And then he'll have treasure in heaven. And he was sad at that and went away. And in verse 23, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. So what we see here is that the kingdom of God has a trust issue. If we're going to effectively live in the kingdom of God, the one thing that is going to be required of us is to trust the king. It goes back again to understanding that he has rulership. He has authority. He's in charge. We're following him. But you won't follow who you don't trust. And so we have to understand that for us to live in the kingdom, it's absolutely going to be a requirement that we trust God. And in this particular passage, we see that obviously what was happening is he was revealing that this young ruler had a trust in natural things, in the quantity of the things that he possessed. And he trusted in that. It gave him security. But he said, if you're going to live in the kingdom, your security for life is going to be in the king of that kingdom. In no other resource, in no other source, in no other uh, surrounding or atmosphere, no other relationship, no other information, knowledge or data that you've had, If you're going to enter into this kingdom of God to live in it, it absolutely is going to require you to have absolute trust in the king. And I can just tell you this. If you trust in that king, you'll never be disappointed. Amen. All right. Let's look over to Acts chapter 14 now. Acts chapter 14. And in, um, we're going to read in, um, uh, let's start with verse 21. It says, and when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. Now we already know the kingdom of God is within you. So we're talking about living in this kingdom. And he says through tribulations, which nothing about that sounds pleasant and wonderful. Who wants to go into the kingdom of God when he's telling you, you know, you're going to get into this kingdom through many tribulations. Nothing about that sounds or seems pleasant at this point, but The word tribulations here is a narrow, confined, or restricted way, meaning it's narrow. It's not wide. It's not broad. Um, It's a confined and restricted way. And so we could say it this. You're going to enter the kingdom of God by removing all other options. Okay? Okay. Because what this is telling us is there's not many ways into the kingdom of God. There's not, you can do it this way and you can do it this way, or you can do it this way. There's only a narrow way into the kingdom of God. So there's not a lot of options. You have actually only one choice, follow God. That's the only choice you have in all the affairs of life. Follow God. Now we understand why this can be considered suffering or persecution because all these other things are pulling on us to grab our attention. All these other things are pulling on us to get us to feel secure in them. All these other things are pulling on us. And hey, we're in this world where the more you have, the better you are, right? And we're in this world that says you need to be a combination of great education, great looks, um, great financial ability, great political standing, great this, great that. And he's saying none of those things matter. And so where the persecution comes or the tribulation comes is throwing off all these other options. You can compare it to this. Now, um, ladies like shoes. Most ladies like shoes. Most ladies like lots of shoes. In fact, a lot of times we don't buy shoes for an outfit. We buy an outfit to go with shoes, right? We like shoes. Now, if I don't have only one pair of shoes, that would seem restrictive and hard and difficult. I only have one pair of shoes. But the benefit of that, when I go to my closet, I know which pair I'm going to wear. I always know. See. Because having only one option makes life simple. And that's what we're trying to get to about the kingdom of God. When you only have one option, follow God, it makes it simple. You don't have alternatives. You don't have, should I lie? Should I cheat? Should I not tell the whole story? Should I do this? Should I do that? You'll only ever have one choice. And that choice is follow God. And the reason it seems like tribulation is because all the things that you have to resist to make that one choice. All the things that you have to push aside to come clear with. My choice is follow God. My choice is do right. My choice is exalt the Lord. My choice is to speak up. My choice is to be quiet, whatever the Lord is leading. And all these other things are difficulties we will have in life to press aside. No, I'm sticking to my choice. My only one option, my only choice. Because when we will go after just that one choice, things will become much, much simpler. So we know that the kingdom of God is an unseen kingdom. You don't see it with your natural eyes, but we see through the book of Acts that there is manifestations to make it seen. There It's a spiritual kingdom, but when you preach of that spiritual kingdom, there is a demonstration in the natural realm. All right, we see in Matthew 12, 28, We see Jesus casting out devils and he says, the kingdom of God's come upon you. We see in Luke 11, verse 20, that there's devils being cast out by the kingdom of God. We see in the book of Acts, Acts chapter three, the man at the temple gate raised up the kingdom of God at work. We see in Acts nine, the paralytic and Dorcas both restored to life the paralytic walking, and Dorcas restored to life. We see the earthquake in Acts 16 and the Philippian jailer and his whole family getting saved. We see in Acts 19, unusual miracles being worked. All of these things are demonstrations of that kingdom. Demonstrations of that kingdom. Now, there's a couple things that hinder the kingdom. Jesus tells us a kingdom divided against itself can't stand. So we have to endeavor to stay united in that kingdom for that kingdom be as powerful and as potent as it possibly can. The other thing he tells us in Luke 9, 62, that if you look back, you're not fit for the kingdom because looking back means that what you're doing is looking to the old way of doing things, the old way of doing things. And once you have set your feet and set your face toward, I'm going to do this God, God's way, you disqualify yourself if you turn around and say, "But maybe this time I'm going to do it this way." You become disqualified when you do that. All right. So let's look at one last passage of scripture that gives us clarity of exactly what the kingdom of God is in Romans chapter 14. Hallelujah. Verse 17, Romans 14, 17, because this is an unseen kingdom. And this gives us the characteristics of that unseen kingdom for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy spirit. So the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. It's not what you do naturally. There will be natural demonstration and natural proof, but it is not a natural kingdom. Instead, what the kingdom is is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. It gives us three attributes of the kingdom: righteousness, peace and joy. So if you're going to be preaching the kingdom of God, you're going to be preaching one of three elements. You're going to be preaching righteousness. You're going to be preaching peace and you're going to, or you're going to be preaching joy. And if you look at all the uh, passages of scripture in the book of Acts, where ministry was taking place, they were either preaching righteousness, a connection with God, the peace of God that will guard your heart and mind or the joy of the Lord. One of those three elements is being preached all the time because righteousness righteousness is our connecting with him our right to constantly connect with him there's not a greater message than you can preach to a lost one in the ex, other than righteousness because righteousness says you can have fellowship with god you can have relationship with god all the things you've done wrong can be erased and wiped out of the way everything that you've done in error or been in error or felt guilty or condemned with can all be done away with because you can have right standing with God and God will allow you to approach him. Now it's, it's a given that you have to be born again to have that happen. You have to be born again in order to have a connection with God. And so that kingdom of God preaching is how to be connected to God. It's the born again message. It's the ministry of reconciliation. This connection that you can have with God. It's a supply that we have a right connection with God. And it is the, it's the message that we can move and act as a co-laborer. It's a message that says your relationship will cause a reflection in your character that looks like the Father. Your relationship with Him will reflect so that your character looks like Him. That's the message of righteousness, that you're going to receive a connection with God that's going to begin to reflect in your life that there'll be no question you are in the kingdom of God. And this is one of those things that has to be preached. The next thing he says is righteousness is not just right. It's, I mean, the kingdom of God, excuse me, is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, a connection with God, but it's also peace. Also peace. If you look over in Acts chapter nine, Acts chapter nine, verse 31 And it says there, the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. And isn't it interesting that these churches in Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace? Same word that's used as peace over in Romans 14. They had peace. Now, they're under a corrupt Roman government. They're being scattered. They're being imprisoned. Yet, it says they have peace. Why did they have peace? It's because they had connected with that unseen kingdom of God and were living in it. They were living in the peace and it tells us why they were connected and how they were connected because they were walking in the fear of the Lord, meaning the Lord was the boss. Jesus was operating as king in their life. Jesus was the authority in their life so they could have peace in the midst of all kinds of turmoil and trouble because they were walking in the kingdom. And the the peace of God was totally demonstrated In Acts chapter 12, when we find Peter in prison and he's asleep. Not many people would sleep in prison, especially with knowing that somebody was in my shoes and was beheaded recently. James had been beheaded. And yet Peter is asleep. He is living and walking in the kingdom of God where the natural surroundings, the natural events had no uh, effect on him. Hallelujah, because they were walking in the kingdom. These preachers in the book of Acts were living in the kingdom of God, producing demonstrations of that kingdom. Now, the final thing it says, it's not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, we see all through the book of Acts that with gladness and cheerfulness They counted it an honor to be persecuted, torment, and troubled for the kingdom of God. They counted it a privilege. In our words, they thought they had arrived into something new because what they wanted to do to Jesus, they wanted to do to them. So they thought we are such joint labors and co-labors with Christ. The way they feel about Jesus is the way they feel about us. Yes, we must be doing this right. They took that affliction and counted it joy because they knew that they were partakers with him of the same sufferings, the same difficulties, the same public opinion, the same troubles that Jesus had experienced because joy is cheerfulness. Joy is delight. But more importantly, joy is our strength. And as long as they were in the kingdom of God, as long as they were taking on the joy of the Lord, as long as they refused to get out of the joy of the Lord, they were consistently edified, built up, and strengthened regardless of what was opposing them. Because in the kingdom of God is where there's joy, not just happiness because of happenings, but there is a joy of the Lord that causes us to be so strengthened and so resilient to what the enemy is doing. And this is the messages that they preached in the book of Acts. In fact, you can turn over to Acts chapter 20 and look at what Paul says. And this is when Paul had been war- warned that he was going to be arrested and taken to Rome, that he was going to be bound. Um, and he was warned that that's going to happen when you go here. And he says to, in response to that in verse 24, None of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy. And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He says, I'm not counting anything happening to me important. What I'm counting important is the call to the kingdom, the power or the grace of God that's on me for the kingdom. And I'm counting that important instead because I want to finish with joy. I want to finish with joy. I'm going to have a supply of joy. In fact, when you get over to Philippians and they ask, and Paul is faced with this question, should I live or should I die? He said, well, for me, it'd be better to go on, but I'm staying for you. Why would he stay? Because he had work in the kingdom that was not yet completed. So in this book of Acts, it's not just the actions of the apostles or the actions of the believers, but it's also the, the ministry actions that followed what they preached. And all through the book of Acts, take time sometime to go through the book of Acts and look at how many times it says they preach, they teach, they spoke, they exhorted, they said things, and then see what followed that. Because what they were preaching, what they were teaching, what they were exhorting, what they were saying were all things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Teaching people, you have right standing with God, that you are in a place of communion and fellowship with God when you're born again, that you have an opportunity for a peace that passes all understanding, regardless of what's going around you. You have an opportunity in the kingdom for the joy, the strengthening of God, the cheerfulness, the delight of God. But it all came to the church. The understanding and revelation and insight of that came to the church because Jesus began to preach it. Jesus began to teach it. And all those that followed after him continued to preach and teach it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So if you're called to preach or teach, stick to the topic that Jesus commissioned to us to say, stick to the topic of preaching the kingdom of God. And as you preach the kingdom of God, the unseen kingdom where darkness has no right, it has no rulership and has no authority. Expect the Lord himself, the spirit of God himself to confirm what you preach and you speak with confirming signs and wonders. If you preach right, the signs will be right. If you preach the right things, the accompanying signs will be prove what you are preaching because preaching the kingdom of God is the commission for us today, just like it was in the book of Acts. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to watch the video of this message, head over to vimeo.com forward slash wovictory or go to Jerry Roberts Ministry on Roku. For more information about who we are and what we do here at Order Victory, check out the website at wovictory.org. That's wovictory.org. See you there.